And I want to draw your guys' attention today to one of my favorite comedic passages in the Bible. This is found in Exodus chapter 8. And if you've been reading the Bible with us, uh, doing our our, uh, yearly reading plan, you guys have come across this passage already. If not, go back and read the whole thing later. It's, it's just, it's great, honestly. Um, what's happening here in this, in this story is Moses has gone before Pharaoh, and the people of Israel are enslaved. And so Moses goes before Pharaoh, and he says, let my people go. Pharaoh says no. And so God proceeds on this plan of, of systematically attacking several of the Egyptian gods through different plagues. Now, if you, if you guys are, um, want more information about that, I'm not going to have time to go into it right now, but if you go to gcmoseslake.org sermons, I linked on there a document that has how each of the different plagues were related to all of these different Egyptian gods. So you can go on there. Again, it's gcmoseslake.org sermons to get that, that information. Uh, but one of these plagues strikes me as particularly funny, and it's this one here. I've got a, a picture of it. It's this, this plague of frogs. Hopefully you guys can see that. And I don't know why, but every time I read about it, like it just seems so odd to me. It, it, it's, it, in a lot of ways, it seems harmless. Like, what is a frog going to do? And then you imagine, like in the picture, just every step covered in frogs. You, you go, you know, you open your front door to go get your mail. There's dogs all or frog, dogs. There's frogs all over your front door. They jump into your house. You're, you're trying to navigate. You don't want to step on them, so you're kind of pushing them to the side all the way out to your mailbox and back. You get in your car. You try to drive to Walmart. There's frogs everywhere. Pretty soon you're like, I just have to run these things over because I can't get anywhere if I don't do anything. And so you're, you're going in, and, and just everywhere there's frogs. You go into Walmart. All of the shelves are covered in frogs. You, it, it just, it just try to imagine this scene for a minute. And just how comical it is. Everywhere is frogs. In your home, in your bed, in your oven, all over all of your dishes. Frogs, 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 frogs. And it's got to be the most frustrating experience. But then there's this conversation that happens as Moses is standing there and he's talking to Pharaoh. And there's frogs everywhere. And Moses goes up to Pharaoh. This is, this is in uh, Exodus chapter 8. And he says... Uh, he says, hey, let my people go, and God will, God will stop the frogs. And so Pharaoh is finally, he's so fed up with frogs, he says, all right, fine. Your people can go and worship God. We're going we're gonna to let them go. Just stop the frogs. And, and as, he's, as he's doing this, or at some point in the discussion, his magicians come up to him, and they're like, you know, because again, these, these plagues are systematically designed in order to attack several of the Egyptian gods. So the magicians, the, the ones that worship this particular god, come up to him and they say, they say hey, this, this, what this guy is doing isn't special. Look, there's a lot of frogs already, but we can make frogs too. And so then somehow they, they conjure up frogs too, which is already hilarious to me because you're just adding to the problem. Like if you really wanted to deal with the problem, deal with the problem. Um, but then, then he has this conversation with Pharaoh where he says, okay, so when do you want the frogs removed? Because I'm going to pray for you, and when I pray for you, God is going to disappear all of the frogs. All of the frogs are going to be, going to be gone. And Pharaoh looks back at him, and he, this is straight out of the Bible, and he says, how about tomorrow? 
Imagine the entire stage covered in frogs. Imagine they're, they're crawling up your leg right now as you're sitting there. And, and Pharaoh, the guy that has the ability to do something about this, says, ah, how about tomorrow? Anyway, it's one of my favorite stories, one of my, just, just one of those passages that every time I read it, like it seems so innocent, it seems so non-threatening, and yet when you, when you kind of dig into it just a little bit, you're like, this is, this is like absurdist comedy here that we're reading. This is, this is so weird that, that this is happening, and then his response where he's like, ah, let's get rid of them tomorrow. I don't, I'll, I'll sleep with the frogs one more night, and then, and then we'll get rid of them. It's so, it's so weird. In the last few weeks, we've been looking at God's plan to partner with humanity. We saw in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve how God created people. He set them in a garden, and he said, I want to work with you in order to take care of the, of the earth. I want, you to, I want you to tend this garden. I want you to be fruitful and multiply and all of these things. He says, he says I want to work with you in order to do this. Then we, then we looked at a guy named Abraham who we consider to be the, the father of the faith. He's the, the first of the, the patriarchs. And in Abraham, God, God has this, this conversation where he says, he says, I'm going to bless everybody that blesses you, and those who curse you, I will curse. He says, he says, in fact, all nations on earth are going to be blessed because of our partnership, because we're working together, because God and man have come back together again. We're going to work together to make this world a better place. Last week we, we talked about Joseph and, and he starts off as this, this pretty arrogant, headstrong person. His, he was, his approach to getting these dreams was insensitive and immature. And so he goes through this humbling process where he goes from the pit to the prison, or he goes from the pit into slavery to the prison, and eventually God brings him to the palace. And because of Joseph and his faithfulness, the entire nation of Israel, Egypt, and probably all of the surrounding nations were, were blessed, starting to fulfill the promise that God had given to Abraham. Now, what I want us to, to talk about today is we're going to look at 400 years later. We're going to look at a man named Moses, and like I already alluded to, the Israelites are enslaved at this moment. And God is looking for somebody who will step up and who will help him to bring about the freedom, the deliverance of his people, so that he can, so that God can, can establish a nation that can be a model for the rest of the world. Again, going back to that prophecy to Abraham, God wants to fulfill this prophecy that says all nations on earth will be blessed because of this nation, because of Israel. God wants to, wants to partner with us then, so the question is, What's our excuse? Why are we not partnering with God? Why are we just sitting back? We think it's too hard. Or we think I'm not good enough. That's a, that's a big one that I hear. When I just reach a certain level of education, certain level of understanding, certain level of sinlessness, then, then I'm going to be ready to jump in and serve. So we think I'm not good enough. We think I don't have enough resources to do what God is asking me to do. And so I sit on the sidelines, we think I'm afraid of what people might think. We think either I'm, I'm too young or I'm too old. I've made too many mistakes. I'm too busy. Or a big one is we just say to ourselves, I'll do it later. I knew a lady um, who was, uh, when, when I knew her, she was in her 80s. And from the time that she was a, a young lady, she felt a call of God to go into missions. 
She felt like God was, God was speaking something to her. But life kind of got in the way of this calling. And so she was, she was you know, going through life. She got married. She had kids. You know, all of, all of these different responsibilities that are associated with those things. She felt this calling to missions, and yet she never went until she turned 70 years old. And at so, when she was 70 years old, God spoke to her again, renewed this calling in her life, and she actually moved to Thailand. She founded an orphanage that's still running today. She's, she's since passed away. But the, the orphanage that she founded is still running. In fact, I, I think we support the missionaries that are currently running that orphanage. And it's this cool story of somebody that, that felt like God was telling them to do something, and she pushed it off. She said, I'm going to do it later. I'm going to do it later. I'm going to wait. Uh, there, there will be an opportune time at some point. And finally, God spoke to her. God got her attention and said, the time is now. And she went, and, and there are people right now that are being blessed because of what God chose to do through that lady. God has called us to partner with him, and this requires our, us to trust him with our fears and our desires. All of these things that, that I've just mentioned that hold us back, these are our fears, right? These are the things that, well, I, I hear what God is saying to me. I understand what Pastor Jeff is saying, and I, I understand that, that God might have something for me, but I can't because I'm afraid. And, and what we see here, and we're going we're gonna to now turn to Exodus chapter 3, we're going to look at a man named Moses. Now, when we think of Moses, most of us think of, uh, I believe it was Charlton Heston, standing up, holding his staff in the air, and parting the Red Sea, right? Uh, at least that's the image that I see in my mind. Or um, for those of us that are a little bit younger, you might think of the animated prince of Egypt, Moses, with like the whale swimming through the water, and, and the, the, the walls of water on either side, and then the people of Israel passing through. But we forget that Moses had a starting point. We forget that there was something before the man standing at the edge of the Red Sea, and he was impulsive, and eventually he was afraid, and then God used those things to bring about the deliverance of a nation. Moses right now in, in Exodus chapter 3 has, has gone from, he was living in Pharaoh's house. He was, being, he was raised by Pharaoh. He sees one of his Hebrew brothers being mistreated. And so he goes and kills the person that is mistreating that person. And then he runs away. And he flees into the wilderness. And now he's been uh, living as a shepherd for 40 years in the wilderness. And as he's out one day, he sees this strange sight. This is Exodus chapter 3. He sees this strange sight, this burning bush that it's, it's on fire, but it doesn't ever burn up. And so he's, he walks over to it. When he gets there, he hears the voice of God speaking from out of the bush. And God says, take off your sandals because the place where you're standing is holy ground. And I have a job for you. I've got something that I need you to do. I've been looking for a person to partner with in order to see my will accomplished. And that person, Moses, is you. And now what Moses is going to do, and we're going we're to kind of skip our way through this story a little bit, but Moses is five different times going to object to what God asks him to do. Five different times Moses says, I think you have the wrong guy. Five different times Moses says, I'm too young or I'm too, uh, in his case, I think he was 80, so I'm too old, 
I can't do this. How can I lead your people? Nobody's going to respect me. Nobody's going to listen to me. This is too big of a job. Five different times Moses is going to resist. And we're going to look just really quickly at the things that that, uh, God says in response to Moses' objections. The first one Moses says is, who am I? Do you, do, you know, do you know who I am? I, I'm, I killed a guy. I ran away. I, I'm insignificant. Nobody's gonna, I'm not influential at all. I'm not a leader. I'm a, I'm a shepherd. I, I can lead my sheep just fine, but how am I going to lead the people that you're calling me to? Verse 11, chapter 3, verse 11. Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you. And this will be a sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. And so what he's saying here is that, that, hey, you don't have to do this alone. It's not about you at all, in fact. It's the Spirit of God in him that's going to accomplish this thing. So so get this out of your mind. Who am I? I'm insignificant. I, I can't do it because God in us wants to accomplish these purposes. Verse 13, Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. I don't even know your name. What do I say to them when, when I go and, and I ask, what, who am I supposed to say sent me? So God answers. God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he uses the, uh, the, the personal name of God here. He says, this is, this is what I want you to say to the Israelites. I am is the one who sent me. So, so this is objection number two, right? He says, he says who, who are you? I don't, I don't know what I should say to the people once I get there. Chapter four, verse one. Moses answered, what if they say they don't believe me? Like, what if, what if nobody's going to listen to me? What if, what if I can't communicate well enough to the people and they decide just, just not, to, not to listen? How am I going to convince them that this is what you want to do. He feels insecure. He feels like he's not up to the task. He says, what if they say, do not, or what if they do not believe me or listen to me and say, the Lord did not appear to you. And so then God gives him these miraculous signs. He, he takes his staff, he throws it down on the ground. It becomes a snake. He picks the snake up from the tail, which is the wrong way to pick up a snake, but he picks it up from the tail. It becomes a staff again. Uh, then he sticks his hand inside his cloak pulls it out, it's covered in leprosy, sticks his hand back in, it's now healed. God gives him these miraculous signs to say, I'm with you. And, and, and to show the people that, that this, is what, uh, this is what God has is, is called us to do. And so, so he sees here that God is preparing him. We, what we see here is that God is preparing him to, to be able to have an answer if the people aren't listening, if the people don't believe him. Verse 10. <laughs> he, this is his fourth, his fourth uh, um, objection now. And he says, Moses said to the Lord, pardon your servant, Lord. I've never been eloquent. Now, this is the most eloquent, non-eloquent speech ever. Pardon your servant, Lord. I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. I, I, I don't know if any of you guys talk like that, but that's, that's more eloquent than anything you guys are hearing this morning, uh, for sure. <laughs> he says, I, I can't talk good. Right? God, I, I don't know what you, what you, I'm not persuasive. I, I don't have the words to say. And so God says, God says, 
I, I'm going to send somebody with you to help you, to partner with you, to talk on your behalf. And then verse 13, his last objection, listen, God, I get it. I really do. I, I understand. You've, you've covered all of my other objections, but please just send somebody else. I don't want to do it, right? So this is, his, this is his fifth objection now. Please send somebody else, and God says no. So five different times, Moses begs with God. Moses asks God. Go, Moses tries to bargain with God. You've got to pick somebody else. And I don't know if you've ever felt that way in life. Maybe God has asked you to do something. And you're like, if I just sit back long enough, somebody else is going to pick this up and run with it. Somebody else is going to do what needs to be done. I don't need to stretch myself. I don't, I'm, just going to, I'm just going to sit back and wait and watch somebody else. And so you resist, you fight it, you, you wait, and eventually you, you find yourself walking away from God because you just keep resisting. No, God, I, I'm not going to do this. God, I'm not going to do it. God, I'm not going to do it. And you find yourself moving further and further away from God. Some of you guys, this has led to you walking away from church completely. Um, I, maybe you're, you're just coming back now. But it was because God was asking you to do something, and you just kept resisting. Like, no, I, I don't have time. I don't have money. I don't have energy. I, I'm too busy. I don't know what to say. We have all of these excuses they keep us from doing what God has asked us to do because God wants to partner with us to see his will accomplished in your family, in your life, in your circle of influence. God wants to partner with you. Moses' problem then wasn't, uh, wasn't so much his, his fears. It was, it was that he didn't understand the God that was asking him to do these things. He didn't understand who God was. In fact, his, his whole understanding of God is clouded because Israel has been in Egypt for 400 years. His whole understanding is, of God is skewed to say, we've asked before for God to deliver us and God hasn't come through. Why is he going to come through now? And so Moses didn't know who God really was. And God's, res God's responses point him back to this fact that if God is asking you to do it, he's going to get you through it. If God is asking you to do it, he's going to empower you. He's going to make a way in your life. If God wants you to do it, he's going to get you through it. In fact, I want us all to say that together. If God is asking you to do it, he will get you through it. One more time. If God is asking you to do it, he will get you through it. God is going to make a way. God is going to make a way in your life. If he's asking you, if he's got a plan for you, He's going to give you the things that you need. One of my favorite sayings is that God doesn't call the equipped. God equips the called. God doesn't call those who already have the skills necessary. Instead, those that God calls will develop the skills necessary to do what they need to do. God doesn't call the equipped. God equips the called. Let's say it together. God's going to make a way. Ready? God's going to make a way. One more time. God's going to make a way. Whatever you're going through, whatever God is asking you to do, he's going to make a way for you. So now we're going to fast forward a few, uh, a few days, weeks, months, years. Moses goes to Pharaoh. 
We read about one of the plagues. Again, if you want more information about how God systematically designed the plagues in order to combat several of the Egyptian gods, go to gcmoseslake.org sermons, and we've got the information on there. There's a link to a, a fantastic article about it. Um, we get through the plagues. Pharaoh finally decides 10 different things happen. Pharaoh finally decides to let the people go. We're actually going to fast forward past the Red Sea, although that was, a, that was a huge moment for Israel where they learned to trust God because they have the Egyptian army on one side and a body of water on the other side. And there's a million people stuck in this in-between this in time, and they don't know how to get away. And they can't move fast enough to escape the chariots of the Egyptians, and there's nowhere else for them to go. And yet God makes a way through the waters for them to be saved, and God ends up conquering the Egyptian army in that moment. And it's this, this incredible picture of how God delivers us, right? I mentioned during communion the, the idea of Passover and how they, they went through, they, they were covered by the blood, and then how God delivers us from sin is the same way that God, like, like passing through the waters, it's almost like their, their baptism experience, isn't it? Where they walk through the waters and they come out on the other side and they're free. They come out on the other side and they're changed. And all of the things that held them back, all of the bondages, all of the, the fears that they had before, everything is different now on the other side of those waters. If you've never taken the opportunity to get baptized in water, we're going to have a, a baptism experience coming up in the next couple months. would encourage you to fill out a Next Steps card. We will get you on the list. Uh, so make sure, to, make sure to do that. The Bible talks about our, our next step after getting saved is to get baptized in water. And I would encourage each of you guys to go through that. That's just a little, little side note. We're going to turn to chapter 19. Now, the Israelites have made it through. They've, they've had some struggles as they've gone through the wilderness. Now we're about three months after they left Egypt and they finally make it to Mount Sinai, the mountain of God, where Moses first encountered that burning bush. Except now, it's not just Moses there. There's about a million people standing in front of that mountain trying to figure out, okay, we're, we're here, now what? I, I gave my heart to Jesus, I got baptized, now what? God, what do, you, what do you want from me? What are you asking me to do? God, what, what is the next step in my life? Now what? Exodus chapter 19. Uh, starting in verse 16. says this. On the morning of the third day. Uh, let's, let's see. Yeah. Okay, so they get to Mount Sinai. Verse 16. On the morning of the third day. There was thunder and lightning and a thick cloud over the mountain. Uh, one of the things that I forgot to mention is that, that the Israelites had been led this whole way through the wilderness by a cloud during the day and by fire at night so that they knew where they were supposed to go. And now that fire, that cloud has settled on the mountain. And now they're standing there and they're looking at it. There's lightning, there's thunder. This is a natural disaster movie right? They're, they're walking into it, and, and I mean, just imagine walking up to Mount Rainier, and it's on fire, and there's lightning, and there's thunder, and there's a cloud of smoke, and you're like, I think I'm just gonna, I think I'm just gonna take a couple steps back. I'm just gonna, you know, I'll let you do your thing. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna hang out over here, and this is exactly how Israel 
responds in this moment. Uh, there's also the sound of a very loud trumpet blast, it says. Um, everybody in the camp trembled. Verse 17. Then Moses led the people out of the camp to meet with God. So Moses says, hey, I know it looks scary. I know it's terrifying. I know that, that there's all of this stuff going on. But we need to come to the mountain to meet with God. And so they stood at the foot of the mountain. Mount Sinai was covered in smoke because the Lord descended on it in fire. The smoke billowed up from the, like smoke from a furnace, and the whole mountain trembled violently. At the sound of the trumpet, as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and the voice of God answered him. And, and in this moment, Israel sees, maybe for the first time, they'd seen signs, they'd seen the Red Sea part, things like that. But now they see Moses and God talking, and then Moses goes up the mountain to meet with God. Again, that's covered in fire and smoke and thunder and lightning and all of these things. And Moses walks into this in order to meet with God. And here is where God is going to establish the ground rules of his new partnership. And here is where God is going to say, okay, we've gotten you out of Egypt. We've gotten you out of slavery. But now there's a few things that you need to do if you want to continue to walk with me. Now, it's really important when we get to chapter 20, and we're going we're gonna to turn over there now, but it's really important when we get here that we notice that the rules, right, because we're going to read through the Ten Commandments, the rules are not being given in order to start a relationship with the people. The rules are not being given so that the people would, uh, would be able to come to God. Instead, these are God's people. These are God's family, and he's saying, okay, we, we are a family. Now you got to go to bed at 10 o'clock. you got to make sure you brush your teeth in the morning. you gotta, you got to do your homework every night. God, right? So God lays down these ground rules for their society. And it's not, it's not rules that they follow in order to become part of the family. It's rules that they follow because they're part of the family. Uh, the, the best example of this that I can think of is how many times have you ever wanted to punish somebody else's kids? <laughs> you, see them, you see them running around, they're, they're running on your, you know, it, it, they, they cut through your front yard every day, or they're, they're constantly too noisy, they're con you know, they're, yeah, and you just, you just want to go over and smack their hand. You see them in the grocery store, they're throwing a fit, you're like, this kid just needs some discipline, so you, you, you just want to go over there, but you don't because they're not part of your family. And so they don't have to follow your rules. The rules are not, uh, not to bring you into the family. The rules are because you're already a part of the family. And so these, these Ten Commandments um, are, are important for us today. But Jesus actually, when, when we get to Jesus, he's going to supersede these. And he's going to say these, these were important. But really, it all is covered under this law that we call love. And if we love each other you're going to do all of the rest of these things. But he doesn't do away with the commandments. He just says there's a greater law at work. There's a greater thing for us to understand. So these can still help us today to understand what God wants from us because, because these are the law that Jesus came to fulfill. All right, verse 20. Uh, first, first, before, or, I'm sorry, chapter 20, verse 20. I'm going to read the end and then we're going to go back up to the beginning, Moses said to the people, verse 20, Do not be afraid. God has come to test you 
so that the fear of God will be with you to keep you from sinning. And he's just detailed what sin looks like. And so he goes, he goes back, and, and I'm not going to read through every one of the Ten Commandments, but the, the very first command that God gives them is he says, he says that you can't have any other gods before me. I'm the one that you should place your trust in. When you need something, come to me. When you're having a hard time, come to me. When, when somebody tells you to do something, run it by me first. When I tell you to do something, you be quick to respond. You don't, you don't dilly-dally. I am your God, and you are my people. And so he says, he says I want you to, to work with me. Again, I want you to partner with me. I am your God, and you are my people. He says the, um, the, the second one, don't misuse the name of the Lord your God. This isn't just about cursing, right? It's not just about swearing. This is also about people who would stand up in front of you and say, God says that blank. God says that you should all give me a million dollars, right? And, and I'm, like, I'm like, hey, come on. You know, God, God said it. And this is in the same way, misusing the name of God. And a lot of us in here have struggled with people in our lives that have done that. And we call them hypocrites because they tell us to do one thing and then they go and they do something else. And they tell us to live one way and then we see them and they don't live the way that they told us to live. And, and so it gets frustrating, it gets confusing. And because God wants to partner with us, God wants to eliminate that type of confusion in our lives. There's also all of these moral laws. He says, don't murder. But what he's saying here is trust God to bring justice. Trust, you don't have to take the, the punishment into your own hand. Instead, we're going to trust God to bring justice in his way and in his time. He says, don't commit adultery. Instead, trust God that God's going to provide you companionship. God's going to provide you a, a family, all of these things, right? He says, don't steal. Instead, we're going to trust God to provide for us. Don't lie. We're going to trust God to expose the truth in any situation. Don't covet. We're going to trust God that, that God is going to give us what we need. He says, he says all of these things, all of these rules, all of these commandments that God has given us are all built around this idea that we need to trust God if we want to be partners with him. If we want to work with him, if we want to, to come to know him in the fullness of everything that he's called us to do, we've got to learn to trust God. And so it leads us to this question, then, will you trust God's way and his timing? Will you trust God to do the thing that he said he's going to do? And will you trust him to do it in his perfect timing? And man, that's something I struggle with. I don't know about you guys, but that is something that just, I, in fact, I, I talked about it in the last couple weeks. There's nothing that makes me more anxious than when I know that God is calling us to do something, and that thing that he wants us to do is to wait. And I'm like, I know, God, I come in on, you know, every morning I'm down here at the altars and I'm, I'm crying out to God and I'm asking God, God, what do you want for your people? God, what do you want for this church? God, how do you want us to go? And I, like in my mind, I see all of these things. And yet, you know, you, you just have to, have to walk it out. you got to trust God in his timing, in his way to make a way. It's the same thing in your life. God is calling you to something. God is asking you to partner with him in some area. 
The question is, will you, God, will you trust God to do it in his way and in his timing? It's easy, or it's easier when God says to go and to do. It's a lot harder when God says to stop and to wait. <laughs> it's, it's easy, at least it is for me. It's easy when I know that God is asking us to do something, I will charge ahead like a bull in a china shop, right? I don't, I don't care what I'm knocking over or what I'm breaking. When I know that God has asked us to do something, I'm going to do it. But when God asks me to stop and wait, then I'm like that same bull, like in the pen, pawing at the ground. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, <laughs> okay, okay, God, what do you, what do you want to do here? How, what are we going to do? How are we, how are we going to do this? And, uh, and, and I just have this issue with stopping and waiting, and I'm guessing that a lot of us in here are the same way. We're action-oriented. We want to see God come through, but a lot of times God asks us to trust in his will and in his timing. Romans 8.31, Paul, in Romans 8.31, Paul summarizes it. He says, if God is for us, who can be against us? If God is on our side, who can, can stop us from doing the things that he's calling us to do. God wants to partner with us, and if God is there, then, then nothing else, there, there's nothing in all of creation, he goes on to say, that can, that can stop us from doing what God has asked us to do. God is going to make a way. And so if God is for us, who can be against us? I want to I personalize this statement. I want to say this all together. If God is on my side, who can stand against me? Let's say this together. If God is on my side, who can stand against me? One more time. If God is on my side, who can stand against me? Me. You. Who can stand against you? What is it if God is asking you to do something, right? Imagine going back to Moses now, standing in front of that burning bush, and you've got your list of objections. You've got all of these things that are, that are stirring in your heart, all of these fears, all of this anxiety, all of this worry. God, I don't know how you're going to come through. If God is on my side, who can stand against me? If God is asking me to do it, he's going to bring me through it. He's going to make a way through it. If God is with us, who can be against us? We need to recognize that we're partnered with a God who is all-powerful. We're partnered with a God who works all things together for good. We're partnered with a God that when he descends on a mountain, there's thunder and lightning and fire and smoke and the sound of a trumpet and all of these things. And when we come before God, we are serving a great big God who has the power to do more than we can ask or imagine, the Bible says. I mean, that should get us excited, right? That, that should stir something inside of us to say, I don't have to, to just exist. I don't have to just go through life uh, day to day. I don't have to just, just struggle my way through. But I've got a God on my side who, when he speaks, things happen. Who, who overcomes all of my objections and still wants to work with me. In fact, the, biz, the biggest objection that any of us had was this idea of sin. And the Bible says that we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All of us in here have, have struggled in some area of our life. I'm going to have the worship team go ahead and join me now on stage. One of the big stories of the Exodus is God working with a person, Moses, to bring about the miraculous deliverance of his people. And I believe that God wants to work through you. I believe that God's got something that he wants you to do. I believe that God has a purpose and a plan for your life, and it's extraordinary. And God wants to do something in you.
God was called to bring about freedom to a people, and God has asked you to be a minister of reconciliation to reach the hurting people that are in your circle of influence. God has placed you where you are in order to carry his words to people that are hurting, to people that are far from him, to people that, are, that just got that diagnosis and they're, they're struggling, to people who don't know how they're going to be able to pay their rent this month. They're, they're hurting, they're confused, they're lost. And God wants you to step into that place. God wants to use you in order to bring deliverance for his people. God wants to use you to carry his words to those that are broken, broken, that are hurting, that are in pain. God wants to use you. So if you're far from God today, if you're like, like the Israelites, stuck in slavery to sin, stuck in bondage to sin, I want to encourage you to get right with him. But if you've already taken that step, in just a minute, we're going to open up these altars and I'm going to ask you to come forward because I believe that God wants to work with each and every one of us to see lives change. God wants each of us to partner with him to see his will accomplished. Father God, we thank you for what you're doing here, Lord. And, and God, I just ask now that you would speak to our hearts. God, that you would show us the thing that you're asking us to do. God, I pray that you would place into our minds right now a name, a person, a situation that you want us to speak into. God, I pray that each of us would be raised up today. God, you've, you've called us, like it says in 1 Peter, to be a prophet, a priest, and a king. God, I pray that you would, that you would work in us to speak prophetically, to minister as a priest would, God, and to rule in our sphere of influence, God, like you have called us to do. God, you want us to bring deliverance, hope, and healing to the world. Father, we just thank you for these things right now. In Jesus' name.